As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. At our old house, Jody and I, we had this back hallway, and we used to, there was this section of the wall where we used to use it to measure our girls' height. So they wanted to do it. I mean, height's a big deal in our house. And every single, every six months or so, I would get the girls and line them up and put their back against the wall. And then I'd put the ruler precise right at the top and mark it. I would date it and put their name. And then they would compare the ages and the difference of who's going to be the tallest. I mean, they were so excited about this, they even made me measure the dog. Yorkies don't get very tall. But you're not going to believe this. You don't think I'm the sentimental type. But when we moved, I, it was so special to me. I'm like, I, I told Jody, I'm like, I want to cut the piece of drywall out and take it with me. And she's like, you can't do that. She's like, what are the new people going to think moving in? You got the wall exposed with insulation hanging out and the two by four. She said, you're not doing that. Take a picture. Still regret that decision. How many people with a show of hands as a parent have done the same thing as we did or are doing the same thing? Anybody else? It's just like measuring the height. I think all of us would agree that measuring yourself physically is a lot easier than measuring yourself spiritually, is it not? Measuring yourself spiritually, it's a lot more difficult. I mean, it's not as easy to just put a mark on the wall to be like, well, I, I think that I'm, it, it's just a, a lot harder to know. And so that's what I want to talk to you about. I just want to answer one simple question. How do we measure ourselves, spiritually speaking? And I'm not going to answer it. I'm going to let the Apostle Paul do it because that's exactly what he does in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and open up to Ephesians 4. We're continuing in our series. If not, and you're here with us, you could grab one from a seat under you, get on your device, and we're going to walk through. I want to introduce you to several contrasts that the Apostle Paul made to the Ephesian church. And I'm calling these surefire shifts. And these are the things that help us to grow in maturity so that we can measure our maturity. Tell the messages, move with maturity. That's what we want to see happen. And here Paul's going to help us to do just that. But before we get started, fight the urge to apply this message to someone else and not yourself first. It's like we're taking a flight together and it's like I feel like I'm the I don't know, the flight attendant who says, before you take the mask in case of emergency and put it on the front next to you or the person or helps on us, put it on yourself first. And, and this is a message to apply to ourselves first. And warning, this is going to be a bumpy ride. There's going to be a lot of turbulence. Anytime we talk about growing in spiritual maturity, it's going to get a bit bumpy. And so get ready, buckle up. There ain't no meal served on this flight, so... Let's get ready to look at how we are to grow spiritually and just apply this to ourselves. First surefire shift is this, from ignorance to inspiration. 
And in a moment, you're going to see that in the text. Put off the old self and put on the new. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. Let me begin reading in verse 17. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Those are the people who didn't know God. They don't know God. And he's saying in the futility of their minds, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their, there it is, their ignorance. Not not that they're, please don't miss it, not they're stupid, they don't know. And he says, due to their hardness of heart, he goes on to say this and describes them, they've become callous and Man, I can remember being there. And they've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that's not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And that's what Paul says it. He says, put on, the next slide, he says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your old form of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. There it is right here. Put on, put off. Move from ignorance to inspiration. That you're created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, first things first, let's go back to this term that's used. It says that you learned Christ. If you got that in your Bible, just underline that. Circle it. I, think about that for a moment. He didn't say you learned about Christ. That's a big difference. To learn about Christ is just that, hey, I heard of him like I heard of some historical figure, and I learned some things about him like I know him like I know Abe Lincoln, Honest Abe. I've read some stuff. No, it doesn't mean that at all because he's like, no, you didn't learn about him. You learned him. When I'm thinking of Abe Lincoln, it's just I know some stuff about him, but I'm never going to meet him because he's dead. But when it comes to Jesus... When he says you learned Christ, Jesus isn't dead, he's alive. Thank you, Pepsi, I heard you all the way here. What's with these people, please, that have gotten an extra hour of sleep? Did you hear me? We got the extra hour of sleep and everything, and I'm going to say it one more time. Jesus is not dead, he's alive. Amen is right. And, and, And so to learn Christ is to meet Christ, is to experience him. And that's what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. He was, man, I mean, God just had to knock him down and, and he experienced that. And so that's what he's saying, man. You can experience that too, that what? That, that you can know him personally. And so that's the first thing. If we're gonna go from ignorance to inspiration, we gotta know him like that. But then... Here's the instruction, there's the shift that that you gotta put on and put off. And so this idea is that Paul's talking about behaviors and he's saying you can't start doing something differently without stopping it and starting something else. Think of it this way, I wanna lose weight. It's not that I can just stop eating. I'm never gonna eat again. I I mean, of course not. I, I gotta make some choices to do what? To stop with the fruity pebbles and get some shredded wheat. I mean, these are decisions of the will that he's saying to put off and put on. And so he's saying, as I take this coat off, which represents the old life, this dark jacket, he's saying, you gotta take that off. And that's the old manner of life. That's what you were used to. And and he's saying, that's not you anymore. That, That doesn't even fit right. He's like, you gotta put on the new coat. This coat represents my new life in Christ. 
and I'm going to put this on, and I'm telling you, man, this thing is stylish, is it not? This thing looks good. It fits me perfectly. It's been tailored specifically for me, for who I am now. Not this, this old life. And look at this for a moment. I mean, look at the designer of this. It's designed by Satan. I don't want Satan anymore. I want Emmanuel. Some of you haven't gotten that yet. I, you're like, Satan? Is it? It's not Satan. But seriously, that's what Paul's saying. We've got to make a choice to put on the new coat, which is fashionable for who you are today. But if you're honest, what do we do? We put this coat on. And you say, well, what what about this coat? Can we put this one on? No, this is my Easter coat. (laughs) I'm kidding. This coat represents, this is what we're going to all put on, the glorified life. That for eternity, when Jesus comes, that's this coat. And that's in your closet, man. But too often what happens is, is throughout the day, and I'm telling you, I see a lot of these coats right now. But it's, I don't know what it is. Craig, Pastor Craig, is there a hallway somewhere where all these coats are and, and then they put these on on the way out of here? Because I've seen you in the parking lot. <laughs> but no, what happens, just like what happens to us is we put this on. And it happens at the worst times. And it's just like Paul said in Romans chapter 7. He said, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't, think, I don't do the things I do want to do. He's talking about this. And, and so we've got to make the decision to put on. Paul talks about this in Colossians chapter 3. He uses the same analogy. He uses it a lot. And there he says, set your minds on things above to put this on. Not on the things of this earth. Second surefire shift to spiritual maturity and growth is that we would move from tre- uh, treachery to truthfulness and pursue and promote unity. And so interestingly, you look at verse 25, it says, therefore, having put away falsehood. So the falsehood is right here. It's, it's about lying. It's about misrepresentation. It's about, mis, it's about manipulating. The falsehood represents that I exaggerate to deceive. That, that's falsehood. You say, man, leave that thing, get that thing off, and, and, and put on this one that you would speak the truth with your neighbor, his neighbor here, for we are members of one another. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, second time Paul says that we're to speak the truth in love. So speaking the truth is important. Speak the truth in love, he says, in the first part of the chapter. We looked at that last week. And and so he was talking about speaking the truth in love to the body of Christ, to the church, because that brings unity. And so we need to do that with another. He's saying it's bringing unity to here, but he's saying speak the truth with your neighbor. Now, he's not saying not without love, but to everybody around, not only inside the church, but we need the church truth outside the church too. And you're the representatives to do it. And so we got to be kind, we got to be compassionate, but we've got to speak the truth in love. That's what he's saying to your neighbor, to all those around you. Now, is he saying that, are you saying that we just got to be a good witness? Well, that's not really the context of what he's saying. He's saying, be honest with those in the workplace. 
Be honest with those in your family. He's talking about falsehood, that this cope, man, it's like you're going to be truthful. But I don't think that's a bad secondary application. That what? That we're to be good witnesses, especially, I mean, in my heart, I'm an evangelist, and I want to see more people come to Christ. People are, isn't it true? I wonder if you'd agree with me. That you know some people that are believing some lies about God, some falsehoods, aren't they? And so you're God's representative that we would share the truth in love. Not, not that we're going to beat them over the head with the Bible. That's not loving, but, but that we're going to share about who God is and what he's done in a way that is compelling and kind that we're going to listen and hear from one another. I mean, would you agree with me that our culture, absolute truth is a thing of the past, is it not? There is no absolute truth. I mean, people don't, my story, your story, my story, it, it, man, we're losing a grasp on a standard for truth. And so we've got to speak the truth in love. We've got to speak the truth with our neighbors. We are God's representative in Christ to put on the new coat. Next one is this. Good stuff so far? From anger to awareness. So this is an important one. We've got to resolve, make the choice. The new coat resolves conflict quickly. The old coat hangs on to it and causes it. And, and so look at what Paul, these are very familiar verses, especially if you, you've probably heard these, especially if you grew up in a church. Be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger. And so let me be clear, it's not a sin to be angry. That's not what this is saying. It's not a sin to be angry. Angry is just an emotion, and, and it kind of, it's, like it's like the dashboard lights on your car. So for instance, you know, your, your oil light comes on. Hey, I, I need to check that. Hey, the, the little one that comes on, it's that goofy little one. I never know what it is. It's like, what is that? It's a, I need air in my tire. It's like, what kind of symbol is that? And it's alerting you to a potential problem. That's what the emotion of anger does. It's alerting me that I may have an issue. So it's not a sin to be angry. It's a sin if I let the anger build and I respond in unrighteousness. And so most of our anger is unrighteous anger. This code, not the righteous anger of God. We're not angry about the God, things God is upset about. We're angered at the things that annoy us and perturb us. That, that's what he's saying. But I don't know where it came from, but like this is always quoted in marriage context, this verse, and, and say, don't let the sun go down your anger. And, and they say, why? Because you don't want to give the devil an opportunity. And, and so if you double click on opportunity, what that means is, it literally means it, it, some versions, it says a foothold. And that word in its original context, it literally means place. So it's this idea that you're not going to give the enemy a place in your life, but it was used of military conquests. And so the picture is that you'd give the enemy would sneak into your camp and take ground and give a surprise attack. And so if I let the sun go down on my anger, I'm going to let the enemy into our bedroom, into our house. And marriage verses specifically, it's like, well, you, you got to go to bed, stay up all night and solve every issue. I remember when Jody and I heard that and we were taught that and we're like, oh my gosh, it's the scared straight verse. And so we couldn't go to bed angry and she's jamming me. I can never forget. I'll never forget this. She's just, you know, we're, we, we got to work this out. And, and, you know, I mean, um, 
I was probably wearing this one. She was wearing this. I've done this message now, this is the fourth time. Every other time I said it differently, sorry. <laughs> we were both wearing this coat and, and we were jamming each other and, and she, we're like, we're got, you know, we've learned, we've got to stay up and solve this. And so that's not what it's teaching. We just did a marriage conference and we did it this past weekend, uh, Friday and Saturday in Spartanburg, South Carolina. It always comes up these verses. And we tell the story of, well, I remember this specific time, just like I'm telling you now. And all it resulted in for us staying up all night is, one, we didn't solve the issue. Two, we were really tired the next morning. And three, Jody was more angry at me because I can sleep through anything. And I'm just like, I fell asleep. And she's like, well, how can you sleep through this? And, and I mean, that's not what it's teaching. It's teaching that you're not to go to bed as a divided person that you're gonna resolve the issue, that, that you're gonna let the anger subside, that you're not gonna, so one person needs to say to the other, you know what, we're not gonna solve this tonight. It's not that you have to solve it in, in 24 hours. It's saying that we're not gonna go to bed angry, so honey, you know what, I, I just gotta tell you, I love you, I'm committed to you, I'm not gonna let this get in the way of us, we're going to solve this tomorrow. Let's come back to this tomorrow with fresh eyes and a good night's rest. And, and let's get, I'm committed to you. Let, let's, let's go to bed and, and we'll work on it tomorrow. And the other person says, yes. Now, I don't know what it is, why this is in, only talked about in marriage. Let's put the verses back up for a moment. Because nowhere in Ephesians chapter 4 is it saying about marriage. So what this is saying is the conflict you have with your boss at work or your coworker or maybe your roommate or maybe the neighbor, it's like, you know what? Your tree is over my yard and it's dropping stuff and like I got an issue here. Maybe it's a family member. That, that sister of mine, that brother, and you're not coming to Thanksgiving. And I mean, these conflicts arise. And so what this is teaching is not just for spouses. It's like we don't want to give the devil an opportunity. And so maybe this would be the thing that you need to do is just somebody needs to be the bigger person and shoot the text over or the email that says, I know we're not seeing eye to eye on this. And I just want you to know that I'm, we, I don't want to let this disagreement or problem cause a break in our relationship because our relationship's important. And so I know I'm not seeing it right. That's the take the log out of your own eye before you remove the speck from your brothers or coworkers or sisters. And then just to say, you know what? At your earliest convenience, let me know a time when we can sit down and talk about this to try to resolve this. Now, what did I just do? I just put it on them because I want them, the Bible says, be at peace with all men, be at peace with all women, be at peace with your brother, be at peace with your sister, that, that I want to be at peace with everyone because I don't want to let the enemy have an opportunity to cause division. That's what it's teaching. And so we'll move to the next shift is from stealing to sharing. And so I, you know, grew up in the Midwest. We're in the Midwest here, man. It's just like hard work, value, Midwestern work ethic, value work, and generosity. Now get ready for a bit of a twist here, because look at what Paul does in verse 28. He says, and we can all agree, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. Yep, doing honest work with his own hands. And so here Paul, he has a picture of, he's talking about stealing and working. He's making the comparison 
And, and so what's Paul doing? He said, we could apply it and say, well, he's saying, you know what? Don't steal from money from a bank. But that's the same as doing what? He's comparing stealing money from a bank from robbing time from your employer. He's like, have a good work ethic, an honest day's wage for an honest day pay. And, and that's what he's teaching. But notice, he's not saying, what's your motivation? He's not saying your motivation is so that you could get a raise or you get a promotion. Or that, you know, that's not the motivation here. Or that you could get the employee of the month parking space. He's not saying that. He's saying the motivation and the result is that you would have, you would have more to help someone and share with anyone in need. So he's taking your work ethic, value work, because it's supposed to grow us in generosity. Man, that's a different twist. That's the new coat. That's the Emmanuel label. It, that's what it does. It, I, I, I make more, I want to give more. I want to do more. I, I want to work hard so that I can help more people. I, I, that's what we're called to do. So how generous are we? Let me give you some, buckle up, and let's look at some statistics. The first one, the average amount of giving per person in the church is $17 per week. That's $887 a year. It's not that much. For somebody who's working hard, that doesn't sound that generous. Look at this statistic. About 5% of churchgoers tithe. What's tithing? Well, tithing is giving back 10%, so only 5% give 10%. Now, maybe you've come from a church background where they teach tithing, and, and maybe you're saying, well, no, I don't believe the New Testament uh, t- t- teaches tithing. You know, that's not my issue for today. Because I personally believe that the New Testament teaches generous giving. And so I think, and we've practiced, that the tithe is not an ending place, it's the starting place. But look at for a moment that the average, about 5% they give 10%. Well, what's everybody else doing in the United States? All Americans. 80% Americans give just 2% of their income. For the tax deduction? I mean, that's just not very generous, man. That, that, that doesn't sound generous at all. And, and, and so how about this one? What about the church? Well, who's stepping it up in the church? 77% of those who tithe donate more than 10%. Remember what I just said? It's a starting place, not an ending place. And so what this means, we've actually seen this at High Point. And, and what that means is that the people who give the most give more and they're supporting the majority of the ministry. Praise God for that. I mean, that's what's happening. Yeah, we can applaud that. I mean, it's, it's a phenomenal thing. But, but what have we seen? What we've seen is, and you can feel it right now in this service, is that we've lost the back row. We've been talking about that. Amy's here in our service. She's on our staff. We've lost the back row. And so what's happening is we've lost those who are the tippers that give the 17 or the throw the five bucks. And, and, and what we've seen is we haven't had a decrease, a significant decrease, because this is happening, because the people who are more committed are giving more. And I praise God for that. But the tippers, I, they're not here. 
I'm sorry for anybody sitting in the back row. I'm not talking specifically to you, but you might want to move up a row next week. <laughs> but I, I don't want to make this about giving. That's not my point. But that's what the Apostle Paul's talking about. And, and look, what, look at this next statistic. This is an interesting one. If every Christian tithed 10%, religious organizations would have another $139 billion available for ministry each year. I mean, that's un- amazing. That's that arch- that's, the church could move in such a way. I mean, that's an incredible statistic. So I, I said that the loudspeaker, it's coming over. We're on a flight together. It's going to get bumpy right now. Buckle up and don't go to the bathroom right now. Let me ask this question to finish this shift. If everybody gave as much as you give right now, will we be able to do more ministry at our church or less ministry? I mean, just let that sit. Next, shift. We're talking about maturity today. We want to grow in maturity. How do we know? Well, from criticizing to edifying. So we got to edify, choose to build each other up instead of tearing each other down. And that's what verse 29 is all about. So Paul moves and says, hey, instead of tearing each other down, let's build each other up. That's what the new coat does. And I remember some of you um, have heard us, me teach on this before or share this story. We actually shared it in the book that we wrote, Jody and I. Um, so, but it's worth sharing again. It's about this verse, Ephesians 4, 29. We, we, we grabbed the kids and they were really young and we're going to teach you guys this verse because we identified that they were getting, uh, walking on thin ice with their communication. They were saying some things they shouldn't about some people. So, so we opened up and we said, we're going to memorize Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupt communication, that, that was the version we used, corrupt talking, Come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that may give grace to those who are here. Oh, okay, kids, Allie, Aaron, Emily, you're too young. You can't even talk, but do you get that? So let's memorize that. And then we said Zappia family code language. When you guys are with one of your sisters and you're at school and, and one of you guys starts talking about somebody, you're getting on some thin ice and, and all you need to say is 429. And that's code language. Better walk that back. <laughs> Better slow down. Hey, you might want to just flash it. That's, that means, hey, come on, man. Let's, you know, we're in this together. Let's, let's pull it back. And, and so they nod in agreement. And then so, I don't know, about a week later, we're in the car driving. And, you know, I mean, Jody and I are in the front seat. We're, kids are asleep. We're talking about our family. Who can agree that can get a little dicey? <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. One person in the back. <laughs> and, and then... Then we started talking about the church family, and we weren't talking about the church family this location in Naperville. It certainly was Wheaton. <laughs> and it was getting a little dicey, and all of a sudden we hear from the back, 429. I look back, Emily's in her car seat. She said it. I mean, I'm like, I didn't even know she could talk. She said 429. And I'm like, I think those were her first words. It wasn't mommy or daddy. It was a confrontation. But all joking aside, I mean, she was calling us out. And what I didn't say in the story, we told the girls that what we need to tell each other. Hey, man, we, we want to put this on. And so let's use our speech to edify. And, and man, this is such a hard one. Even I know for me, I'm a verbal person. and It's so easy to say the wrong thing or to withhold the right thing. That's a big thing. It says in James chapter 4, he who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, for them it's sin. So we hold back the encouragement and the praise. And 
And what we're saying is, man, we just want to encourage each other. That's what this does. And so as a church, as a family, that, man, let's just hold each other to that. And what we did is invited our kids to call us out. Man, what if we did that in our families and in our groups, in our church, that, that that's the new call. And so two more quickly. We've got the next one is this, that from grieving to glorifying. And so we got to let the Holy Spirit here lead. Now, it's interesting to me. Verse 30 is quite unique because Paul's talking about this. And then he goes to verse 30, and he talks about the Holy Spirit. It's always amazing to me that it's right after the speaking, but he's talking about putting on and put off. So in context, man, in order for you to be encouraging with your words, you better follow the Holy Spirit, and you better let the Holy Spirit lead. And guess what? In order to even do all this, we're talking about to put this coat on. We have a tendency to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Paul warned, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, Let's teach a little theology here. Slow down for a moment. That word sealed, it's an important one. We've seen it already. It literally means we've seen it in Ephesians chapter 1. And it says that we were sealed with the Holy Spirit, that God has given you the third person, the Trinity. That's his guarantee of change. And when you were converted, you have the Holy Spirit. You were sealed with it. And that picture is of a signet ring. That's what it was used, that, that there was a king would have a contract and to execute the contract to be wax on there and his ring was, he would put it on the wax and, and that would be the official document. Today we have, um, you know, uh, what, what, what are they called? Um, notaries. And, and so, but, but this is the big time. I mean, this is not, I mean, that's, you gotta execute that. You take that to court. It's it, like, this can't be broken. And, and so get the picture. That's what he's saying about the Holy Spirit, that you've been sealed. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit because you've been sealed to the day of redemption. What's that talking about? Well, this is so encouraging. That's talking about this day. When, when what? When we meet Jesus. When we're in glory. He's saying, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, I mean, forever. So the Holy Spirit can't leave you or forsake you, but what can happen to the Holy Spirit? The Bible says three things. We can... Quench the spirit, it says. We can grieve the spirit, it says here. And so I think you know what grieving is. We've all grieved the death of a loved one, the death of someone that we love. And what happens, man, I'm just rendered useless. I can't do anything. And that's what we do to the spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit. And so the spirit is rendered useless in you when we do what? When, when we put this coat back on. And so we've got to resurrect him, so to speak, and speak new life into him. How do you do that? Well, that's the third thing the Holy Spirit does, is the scripture says, and we're going to get to it in Ephesians 5. Paul is very theological. He says, be filled with the Spirit. And so the idea is filled that you let it permeate every area of your life. All your mind and your decisions and your body. Like that's, we want to be led by the Spirit. I love what Stormy O'Martin and Maybe you haven't heard of her. She's an old school writer and she writes a lot. And actually, she's, um, uh, her sister-in-law uh, helped start her church. And, and she has this quote about the Holy Spirit. She says, he, and she's referring to the Holy Spirit. She says, he will put you in situations where you absolutely must have a miracle. She goes on to say, the reason he does that is because he wants you to know with all certainty that it's him working in your life, the Holy Spirit. So don't be alarmed if the Spirit leads you into situations that are impossible without a miracle from God. I love that. Hey, the Holy Spirit's going to lead you. And so we need to go from what? Grieving to glorifying. 
that we would glorify God. Can I tell you today that the Holy Spirit can break any boundary and any stronghold, that we serve a limitless God? I mean, that's what the scripture's teaching. So lastly, talking about surefire shifts from cruelty to kindness. Forgive others as God has forgiven you. Paul ends this chapter with verse 31 and 32, and I'll start in verse 32 just to show us. He says, be kind. Go from cruelty to kindness. By doing what? By, by forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. He's saying, how can you hold the grudge, man? I mean, after all, God forgave you? Like, how can you do that, man? You don't understand. Like, that's to make us the new coat. The old coat does what? It, it causes us to want to get even. It causes us to want to settle the score. It causes us to want to grind that. No! We're to forgive because we're being forgiven. But then verse 31, he tells us the results of unforgiveness. These are the byproducts if you choose not to forgive. He, he says what? He, he, he says bitterness. He, he says wrath. He says anger, clamor, slander. That, that's the byproducts of unforgiveness. And you say, is there anything good in this list? No, malice. I mean, that's not a good list at all. See, unforgiveness is like holding a hot coal in the palm of your hand, and the tighter you squeeze, the more it burns. So here's the list. I'm going to invite the worship team up. Here's the list. And so this is the surefire list to maturing in Christ. So, so we want to take a look at this list and say, I don't know about you, but when I look at this, I'm just like, whoa. Man, I, I mean, I, I think I need all of them. I mean, and it can be a bit overwhelming. And for all those, I want you to pick one, but some of the, all those type A personalities, no, I'm picking all of them. Just, just slow down. Overachievers, like, like what's the one or two things that God's speaking to you? Because this growth that we're talking about, it's a process and it happens over time and God calls us to do one thing at a time. And what's the one area that is, you've been listening to this and reading through that, that God's been pressing in on you on it? Is it grieving the Holy Spirit and that you want to glorify God and he's calling you to a new season, a new step and to do something that you haven't done? Is it, I don't know, maybe criticizing to edifying? Maybe there's something that you know that you said or that you didn't say that you ought to have said. I don't know about you, but I think all of us, we can pick the easiest one as number one because that's really a filter for all. Hey, I, it's ignorance to inspiration that too many times I'm putting the old code on instead of the new code. And so we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to ask us to pray in the service right now. So I'm going to say this. Can you just pick one? What's the one for you? Pick the number. Lord, speak to me about this. And Ethan and the worship team, we're going to just play over you for a moment. We're going to give some time for prayer because prayer moves the mighty hand of God. And prayer is the nerve that moves the mighty hand of God. And we want to call out to him with thanksgiving and anticipation to see God work. But I'm going to challenge us now. This is the different part. I'm going to challenge us in a moment to stand in a moment. And I'm going to say, can you pray for yourself? And can you pray for our church? Because we want to see us grow in maturity. Is that not true? We want to see all of us grow. We want us to grow in maturity in him. And then I'm just going to ask you, I'm going to challenge you to stand right now. If you would, please stand with me.
I'm going to ask us to pray, but please pick the number. And then I'm going to ask you, if you're here with your spouse, that you would get with your spouse and that you would pray. That you would first share, just say the number. Just say, you know what? It's number, whatever it is. Believe me, if you're with your spouse, they picked the number for you already. If you're with your family, maybe you're here single today or your husband's up on stage, like right here, whatever it is. Maybe there's somebody you know, your roommate. Just, just let's, let's pray for our church. Just gather together as friends, somebody from your growth group. Let's just have some movement. Turn to each other. Let's just pick a number and share it. Let's grow the level of transparency in our church. And if you need to, just say number one. We all need that one. And so we're going to move into a time to pray for you, to pray for each other, and to pray for our church family. Lord, I pray for your spirit to move now as people gather and people begin to pray. Lord, I pray for a spirit of freedom in this place that there wouldn't just be silent prayers, but we would speak out loud to you, the God, that we would call out to you. And help us to do that now, Lord, as we want to grow in maturity. I pray for freedom. I, I pray for strength. I pray for your Holy Spirit to help us to to move towards maturity in you. And I, I ask for that freedom now in Jesus' name.